0: Thanks for tuning in to the Sojourn Church Podcast. We are a church committed to the gospel in the context of family, living on mission to the city of Portland and our world. For more information, visit our website, sojournpdx.org. Good morning. It is great to be able to gather as the people of God, whether you're gathering with us in person this morning or online, Uh, however you found yourself with us, we are glad that you have chosen to spend part of your weekend. Uh, with us, my name is Matt. If you're new with Sojourn, I'm the lead pastor uh, here at this church, and uh, we are in our second week of Advent. If you're not familiar with Advent, that term, or or just really what that means, it is a season in the Christian liturgical calendar where we celebrate and anticipate the first coming of Jesus, and then we uh, look forward to and long for the second coming of Jesus. Uh, during the Advent season, we are studying through the Book of Ruth, which is. One of the greatest stories ever told in the Old Testament. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them there to Ruth, uh, where Andrea read just a few minutes ago. Or open the app on your phone. Uh, We'll be in chapter 2 this week, where we will look at verses 1 through 23. Now, like any good television series would do, we're going to go back and revisit uh, just kind of a high-level view and recap what happened last week. Uh, one, because it's been a long week, and so you may not remember, or if you're new with us, just to kind of catch you up to speed before we get into uh, this week's message. Chapter 1, if you remember, it opened with some really devastating news, which left Naomi, one of our key characters, widowed, without any sons. And so all three of the men in her life were um, had died by the end of the first five verses. This also left her two daughters-in-laws, Ruth and Orpah, they were also both widowed. And during this time that they had all found themselves widowed, there was also a great famine in the land. Now, the famine signaled God's judgment on the people because everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. Now, as a result, we see Naomi, along with her two daughter in laws, Ruth and Orpah, they journey to find food and provision. But then Naomi strongly encourages both of her daughter-in-laws to return to the land of their fathers. Uh, Specifically, Ruth, she said, look, your father's still living. You can move back in with him, and then you can likely remarry again. Orpah listens, but Ruth decides that she is going to be loyal to Naomi. So it is here that we saw that Naomi was, yes, showing devotion uh, to—Ruth, rather, was showing devotion to Naomi. But it wasn't only that she was showing that— she was also expressing her faith in Yahweh, because when we started chapter one, Ruth was still considered a pagan, and by the end of chapter one, really by the middle of chapter one, uh, she had gone from a pagan to a saint, and she was expressing her faith in Yahweh. Now, the story continues as we see Naomi returns to her homeland, Bethlehem, and she tells the people, she says, do not call me Naomi any longer. She had been gone for about a decade, so of course people recognized her, or at least they thought they recognized her. She looked very different but Naomi meant, uh, it was kind of like an endearing uh, terminology. It was almost like saying, come here sweetie, or how are you doing? And she said, don't call me that any longer, call me Mara, which means bitter, because she felt that God was judging her. Once again, her husband had died, both of her sons had died, she didn't have any food, not much provision in her life, and so she felt like God was judging her, and she felt that God had forgotten her, which led to her feeling bitter. And so we left off by seeing that The the physical famine at the beginning of chapter 1 also illustrated the spiritual famine in Naomi's life. But at the very end of the chapter, we found a small glimpse of hope and the possibility of a new beginning. We left off with a number of questions, and so uh, that's what we're going to pick up this week. This week, we're going to start to answer those questions that we left off with last week as we look at chapter 2, and we'll go ahead and start in verse 1. It says, Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. Now, the first chapter of Ruth dealt primarily with three women, but now the narrative is going to widen. It's going to include the entire community. And here in verse 1 of chapter 2, we're introduced to another very key figure. His name is Boaz, and he is introduced as a worthy man. We see that Boaz was a man of integrity. It says he protected the vulnerable, and he showed compassion for the poor. Boaz was different from many of the men of his day. He wasn't necessarily what we called in our modern-day language a good old boy or a man's man. He was very different. He was set apart. And so I look at that and say, man, we too, today, we need a new generation of men like Boaz. I would be proud if my sons, as they grow up, become men like Boaz. The words of the psalmist were true of Boaz. When it says, Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. His offspring will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. It is well with the man who deals generously and lends, who conducts his affairs with justice. He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn is exalted in honor." So we see that there's this idea of, of justice around the character of Boaz. Now, we've talked about, a lot about justice uh, in 2020, but, but here we see that Boaz is a model of justice, but he's also a picture of Christ. And so we see that Boaz's grace points to Jesus' grace, the grace that has bought our salvation, and the grace that strengthens and empowers us to love this broken world where we are called to be. Similar to chapter one, what we're going to see is chapter two involves a series of conversations. Now, I'm not going to revisit every single verse that Andrea read, but we're going to, we're going to um, at least revisit the, the you know kind of chunks of verses together. And what we see unfold is five dialogues. In the very opening, we see that Ruth tells Naomi of her plan to go out to the fields. The second conversation is we're going to see Boaz greets his reapers, and he learns about this lady named Ruth. The third conversation, we see that Boaz offers Ruth protection. And then our fourth conversation, we'll see Boaz tells the reapers to help her. And then finally, the last conversation we see is that Ruth tells Naomi all that has happened. And so the main point of our sermon this morning is to seek to understand the favor Boaz shows in the, in the faith of both him and Ruth. And so we will see that this hope rises from Ruth and Naomi and how Boaz's favor points to the greater favor of God. The title of today's sermon, if you're taking notes, is God's providential kindness. Because behind everything that we will see this morning, in this chapter, God is accomplishing his purposes. We read in verse 1, it says that Boaz was a relative of Naomi's husband, and it says he was of the clan of Elimelech, which Naomi tells Ruth later that Boaz is one of our redeemers. So I want you to really pay attention to this idea of of Redeemer today that we're going to we're going to heal that a few different times and then we'll we'll build upon that idea next week. Now, this may sound like a passing detail that he just happens to be a distant relative of Elimelech, but this actually is going to prove to be very crucial to our narrative due to Israelite laws and customs. And we'll hopefully unpack that for us in here in just a few minutes. And so we learn that not only is Boaz a relative, but it says he is also a worthy man. He's he's a man with integrity and godliness. And In short, he was a man of both moral worth and material wealth. And so, our opening verse here introduces us to some key features of Boaz. We see his selfless character and his wealth will prove vital as the story unfolds. Now, a lot of it's going to seem like random chance and random occurrences, but as I've already said, we'll see that God is actually behind every single detail and he's working out his purposes and his plans with this story. Let's pick up verse two. This is in Ruth. The Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. So we now see the Moabite, once again, is pointing out that she is a Moabite. In other words, she's different. She's she's not an Israelite. She's a Moabite. And so we see that this woman, Ruth, re-enters the scene. And perhaps this morning you can identify with Ruth. She's a new believer. She doesn't have any money. She has left her family behind. She doesn't come from the best of families to begin with. And now she's found herself sing- single and a widow. So maybe maybe not all those areas, but maybe there's one of those areas that you can identify with Ruth this morning. But here's the encouragement. We're going to see that Ruth's faith will shine in this chapter. Gleaning. Gleaning consisted of gathering dropped grain and grain left standing. In other words, you're not getting the cream of the crop, but you're getting kind of the leftovers, the stuff that didn't fit with everyone else. And so it says the harvesters at this time, they were to leave the edges of the field for the poor and not retrieve the dropped crops. And so really it was the law that made the provision for them. And so it was for the poor, the widow, and the sojourner. Well, Ruth fit all three of those categories, so it was obvious that she was going to be allowed to glean in these fields. Now, the gleaning was not going to improve her status by picking up the scraps left behind, but it could help people survive. And so Naomi and Ruth have found themselves without provision. And so really, if you get to this point, you're going to a very desperate measure, but you're just trying to get by. You're just trying to get some food in your belly. Now, let's think about this in the, our context. This would be similar to people in our city collecting cans. Um, it happens to be in my street. I've already put our recycling and our, our trash bin, our compost bin out for the night. And usually it's on this night that people come around and they look for cans and so that they can turn in. Now, some people do this for extra income. I mean, heck, my kids even do it. And we've kind of built up a little, very little, small savings account for them, but as a way to teach them how to gain some money. But others just do it to meet ends meet. And just to survive, I mean, you'll see people carrying grocery carts and um, dragging things behind them just full of cans in our city. So now imagine that a poor immigrant is going around in our city collecting cans because that's really the only way that they can get any money, get some food for their belly. And while they're doing that, they end up marrying, or rather they end up meeting a very wealthy businessman here in our city. And not only do they meet that businessman, they end up marrying that business owner. This is the story of Ruth and Boaz. It has helped for us to remember that we're in this time, it says that it was the darkest time in Israel's history. It's, it's the dark time of the judges. And may, let me remind you, it says everyone was doing what was right in his or her own eyes. So we shouldn't assume that the laws about gathering and about leaving or the, the poor and the widow were put into practice. I would would imagine most would probably ignore that. But Ruth doesn't go into the fields with some kind of sense of entitlement, but she goes in with a sense of humility. And she recognizes that by going into this field, I need to find favor. and I need to find favor with someone who can help me. And leaning, and if you think this sounds like easy work, I mean, have you ever been out for a day where you're just getting down and having to pick up stuff? I mean, I remember painting our house this summer and just getting around on the smaller parts. And you sit down, you know, just kind of lean on your knees for... For ten minutes or so, then you got to stand up. And you're like, "Oh my goodness!" So gleaning was not easy work. It was hard work. It was embarrassing because if you were gleaning, I mean, I think some people uh, during 2020, a lot of people who maybe never gone to food pantries before have had to go to food pantries, and I think you got to sense this sense of embarrassment sometimes. And so, gleaning was hard work. It was embarrassing work as people knew if you're gleaning that you're the one who was in need, and it wasn't always safe, especially at this time for a foreigner, and then especially for a woman. But we see that there's this meeting that takes place between Ruth and Boaz, and the meeting is one of humility and grace, which always go together. Now, let's look back at verse 3 to see how Ruth found such a landowner, how she just happened to stumble upon this field. So so she set out and went and leaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. Now, don't miss this. It says she happened to enter into Boaz's field. Now, in Hebrew, this literally reads this way. And her chance chanced upon the allotted portion of the field of Boaz. So in other words, her chance chanced upon. Now, this might be one of the most important phrases in the entire book. Of course, the author does not believe in luck. He doesn't believe in chance, but he's really causing us, especially modern readers, to reflect on the providence of God. Ruth doesn't realize it, but she's entered the fields of a relative, one of the few men who's actually able to give her and Naomi the help that they need. God's quiet hand is always at work, and it's true for your life as well. There are things happening to you right now, things happened this year, that you're just scratching your head and going, I don't get this. I don't know why this is happening. And, And if you think about it, you've probably had this happen before, and then let's just fast forward five years from now, or maybe 10 years from now, and you can look back and you go, man, I can see the providence of God in that situation. I can see the kindness of God in that situation. And so that's what we see happening here with Ruth. She doesn't realize it in the moment, but God is already at work. Let's pick up verse four. It says, and behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and he said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. you see, Boaz's timing here was perfect. When we catch a glimpse of this divine providence that's taking place, this we realize that really it's God's time in this perfect. It really had nothing to do with Boaz. We might say it today, like, Mr. Wright showed up at the right time. And we're given this brief glimpse into Boaz's character. We see he greets his workers with, Lord be with you. So Boaz's faith, what we see here is it's not a once-a-week kind of faith. Boaz's faith isn't isn't even reliant on, oh man, I'm going to wake up and do a quiet time every single morning and finish my Bible reading plan for the year, which by the way, I'm, I'm hopefully going to finish mine this year. But his faith, it seems like he has Yahweh always on his mind. Even in the midst of his field. Here he is in the middle of his ordinary business life. He's not waiting until it's a, a gathering, but he's going, man, what I'm doing in my everyday life, I, I want to I be a blessing to others. And so that's a good principle for us, that we don't need to make it about our Sunday gathering, an online gathering, an in-person gathering. We don't even need to wait for our Wednesday night gospel community. But every single day... I spent two days this week in a uh, think tank with um, kind of aspiring missiologists. And we just talked about this idea that man, we've got to get where every single man, woman, and child, and this is my hope and it has been from day one for Sojourn, that we all see ourselves as disciple makers. Um, and some of them may even all see ourselves maybe as church planters. That it's not only my job, but it's your job as just as much as it is my job. It's all of our job together to go out Monday through Saturday and Sunday and make disciples. Next, we'll see Boaz becomes aware of Ruth's presence in his field. Verse 5, he asks, he says, whose young woman is this? So we see Boaz, single businessman, owns a field, notices, you know, he's letting um, up a poor widow glean in his field, but he also takes notice of this widow and says, who, who is this woman? And so the foreman gives Boaz an explanation of who Ruth is. He notes her ethnicity. They like to point out she's a Moabite. Hey, she's not an Israelite, so... You know, go ahead and scratch that out of your mind. He talks about her connection to Naomi and her desire to glean in the field. Pick up, look at verse six and seven. And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, she is a young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. So he, he em- emphasizes her impressive work ethic. So she has worked from early morning until now, except for a short rest. We see that Ruth here, she's she's a woman of faith, she's a woman of humility, and she's a hard worker. This is the kind of woman that I want my three boys to marry. I'll go as far as saying this is the kind of woman that I married, a woman of faith and humility and a hard worker. And so here's the applicable point for us right now, that our faith in Yahweh doesn't mean we are lazy and wait around for him to act. I'm not saying that we try to get ahead of God and that we don't want to be a step in tune with the spirit of God. But here's what we see with Ruth. Ruth doesn't sit around and just go, oh, okay, God, I need you to fix this situation. I'm poor. I'm a widow. I don't, I don't know where I'm going to eat a meal today. No, that's not what she does. She tries to make the very best of her situation by trusting God to be good to her as she does so. And so here we are. And I know we have to say it every single week, but we're still in this pandemic, believe it or not. We are in the last month of 2020. And you know, for some of you might be going, okay, well, I'm just all right, God, I'm just waiting for you. I'm just waiting for the vaccine, or I'm just waiting until people wear three masks and multi-layer things, and we stay 20 feet away from each other. How are you making the best of your situation? How are you trusting God in the middle of the situation where you have found yourself or where we have found ourselves? Then Boaz addresses Ruth. We see him enter the scene. He's learned who she is. Verse 8. Now listen, my daughter. Do not glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Now we have to remember, everyone did what was right in their own eyes, but here we see Boaz is obeying God's word. Not only does Boaz tell her she may glean in his field, but he actually insists that she stay in his field. Don't don't glean here, and then tomorrow go to another field. I want you in this field. I want you to stay here, and I want you to even keep close to my young women and go after them. And I'm gonna I want to put out protection for you. And so he's determined that he's going to provide for her. He's taking notice of her. He wants to provide for her, but he also wants to protect her. Once again, this can be a very dangerous, gleaning um, uh, a field for a foreigner and for or a single woman. Uh, once again, especially at this time. And so he's, he said out that, man, I'm going to also protect her and care for her. And here's how Ruth responds. This is going to be very key. I want you to remember this and then we're going to revisit at the very end before we wrap up. We see that Ruth responds in verse 10 by falling on her face, bowing to the ground, and she said to him, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? This is the type of favor that that Ruth, I mean, it's kind of blowing her mind because this is the favor she was seeking out, but now she is overwhelmed by the favor she's actually finding in Boaz. So she asks, why have I found such favor? He does, and, and, and Boaz doesn't even initially recognize that this is the daughter-in-law of Naomi. But then in verse 11 and 12, it becomes clear that he's actually heard about Ruth. So she's she's kind of building this reputation for her loyalty to Naomi, and what she has done for her mother-in-law. But Boaz answered her, All that you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. And how you left your father and your mother and your native land and came to the people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done. And a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. And so we see that, that Boaz comes in. He's heard about Ruth. He's heard about Reputation. And he wants to come in and bless her with his his words by speaking to her reputation, by praying that God will reward her faith. And we see that in response to his kindness, Ruth expresses her gratitude. Verse 13, she says, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. Tony Marita provides five ways that we see mercy and justice exemplified by Ruth and Boaz in the first half of chapter two. First, it says, Boaz provides for the hungry by obeying the word, "Do justice." Second, we see that Boaz not only provides for Ruth, but he also protects Ruth. You see, strangers and widows could be mistreated and abused at this time, but instead, Boaz comes in and offers her protection. You know, we see this is key because he doesn't say I'm going to abuse my power. He doesn't say I'm going to abuse my authority because I've taken notice of this lady. But no, I'm going to do quite the opposite. I'm going to care for her. I'm going to protect her. Third, we see that Boaz uses his words to bless Ruth, showing her personal dignity and respect. In other words, he goes way beyond the requirements. He doesn't just allow her to glean his fields. He says, man, I'm I'm going to uplift her. The fourth thing is Boaz shows kindness and grace, not only to Ruth, but also to his workers, which exemplifies this in, in, in integration of the sacred and the secular. Once again, we see that Boaz, it wasn't just this one one day a week uh, faith kind of guy. He says, man, I'm gonna, I'm gonna integrate the sacred and the secular and bring them together the way that I treat my employees, the way that, that I treat those who work in my fields, the way that I treat the stranger amongst us. And the fifth thing is Boaz walks humbly with the Lord, a man of mercy and justice. So here in the first half of chapter two, we see these characteristics of Boaz. We're going to build upon those in the second half of chapter two. But here I want us to crucially learn about Boaz. And it says it calls him a redeemer. So hold on to this idea of what's going to redeem her. Let's pick up verse 14. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied and she had some leftover. So a Boaz favor, it, it extends beyond the field, beyond the gleaning, it extends beyond um, encouraging words, flattering words, but it actually extends to the dinner table. Or in modern times, we would probably say, Man, this, this is like their first date. By this point, if you're working for Boaz, you're paying attention and you go, Man, they're they're going they're going on a date here. So this story is way better than The Bachelor. The author tells us in verse 18, it says she was satisfied and she had some leftover. Now, who do you think she shared her leftovers with? Naomi, of course. Now, this is a good practical reminder for us as we see the the extension of the dinner table of Boaz that when we seek to bless the houseless in our city with material blessings, that it doesn't just stop there. But we also want to practice hospitality by giving them a sense of dignity and providing friendship, not just food. And I know we all get in a hurry, especially this time of year, and there might be someone asking for something at a, at a stoplight. And if you're like me, you might be like, Man, do I have a Laura bar or something? I can just hand them and God bless. Have a good day. But if especially if you have time, if you're out walking the city, I know it's been weirder this year. But, you know, even if you have to do it at a distance and, and, and provide some food or something like get to know their name, get to know a little bit of their story. As I promised, is going to go a long way, and Boaz really uh, models that for us here. Now, the meal was more like a lunch break, so it wasn't this romantic candlelit dinner that we might be thinking about. It's more like a lunch break, and so Ruth actually they have this meal together, and then she returns to gleaning. And Boaz instructs his workers not to insult her, don't insult her, don't mistreat her. My guess is she probably didn't come with any food, and so they might might have even taken note of that. He says, don't mis- insult her, don't mistreat her, and then he even goes to the degree of saying. I'm going to provide special privileges for her. And he instructs his workers to pull stocks from their bundles and leave for Ruth to gather. So now it's not only she has to do the hard work to get the, the leftovers, but he's saying, okay, I know you gathered that nice pile over there. I want you to take some of that and I want you to give it to Ruth. And so in verse 18, it says, and she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. Now imagine Naomi was like, man, this is way more than thought. So we see Ruth returns to Naomi. I imagine she returned tired, exhausted, but also I can see like maybe a little skip and a little hop in her step, just, just of the excitement of the favor that she found this day. And so she returns home and she shows Naomi the same kindness that Bo has, had shown to her. Now, let's not forget that Naomi, we finished last week with her being described as bitter, but we see that Ruth responds to her with kindness and love. And so may you love the Naomi's in your life in the way that Christ has shown love to you. Realizing the proper response to his grace and patience towards you is to show grace and patience to others, even those who might be bitter. Now, Naomi responds to Ruth with two statements. Her first response repeats her blessing for she desires that the Lord may bless benevolent Boaz. She's going, man, whoever this guy is, we need him to, we we pray that God will bless him for blessing you blessing us. The second response and she says, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead? Now, grammatically, we're going to have to do a little bit of uh, homework here, Old Testament, original language homework. Grammatically, in the original Hebrew, this could refer either to Yahweh or Boaz. Now, there are two primary reasons for thinking that the who, in fact, here refers to Yahweh. First, the term the man is used in verse 20b, and the man is a close relative instead of he. Now, it would seem unnecessary to say the man, if Naomi were to continue to speak of Boaz, he would make more sense. Second, there's a similar statement made in Genesis 24:27, which obviously refers to Yahweh. It says, blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness toward my master. As for me, the Lord has led me in the way to the house of my master's kinsman. So this is the point, either way. God has been kind to Naomi and Ruth. Remember how how devastating it was at the end of cha- verse 5 of chapter 1. And remember even how all of last week just seemed like a really devastating chapter other than there was this one small glimpse as they were getting there ready to enter the barley fields. But here we are, more than halfway through <coughs> Excuse me, of chapter 2, and God has been kind to Naomi and Ruth. We even see this transformation taking place in Naomi, whose view of God is starting to be restored and her bitterness is turning away from bitterness and now into thankfulness. You may be in a season of grief like Naomi. We got to remember here. We got to cut her a break. We kind of look at her and go, man, she's bitter. She needs to trust God, but she had lost her husband. She had lost her two sons. She, she had lost virtually everything. And so we got to cut her, cut her some slack here, but maybe you're in a season like Naomi. Maybe you're grieving over something. And so allow the, the, the transformation, allow the grace and kindness that we see God give to Naomi here in chapter two encourage you. Psalm 35, we're told that weeping may last for a night, but joy comes in the morning. And so by God's grace, it is possible to go from morning to dancing. I know once again, it's been a very hard year for many of us. Maybe if it's not you, maybe someone in your family. it's not your family, I'm sure a coworker or friend. Some people have lost people due to this pandemic, COVID-19. Some people have lost their jobs. Some people have lost almost everything. So so we might know know a Naomi in our life, and let's pray that just as we see the transformation in her own life, that we can see the transformation take place in, in your life or the person you know that may be experiencing that same thing this year. Now, Naomi gives her second response to Ruth in the second part of verse 20. She says, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. Anytime that word redeemer is used, pay attention to it. Now, I can imagine Naomi's mind's kind of racing here because I don't. it, it didn't appear she had made this connection herself. And so Boaz is more than a kind man. And, and now it's kind of showing you the providence of God. It's not like, man, it's not that you just stumble upon this random guy's field. Like, wait a minute, he's a kind man, but he's a what they call a kinsman redeemer. He's a close relative who's actually able to come to the aid of a family member. This meant that, that Boaz, now he wasn't obligated to act, but he had the right to act as a redeemer if he chose because it says that he was one of the redeemers. In other words, he wasn't their only chance, their only hope, but not. it was applying here that there was another relative, which we'll find out about later, I think in chapter 4, who could have stepped in and been their redeemer, who could have been the potential husband for Ruth, But So this is just further showing that there's no obligation on the part of Boaz. Hey, you gave her some food. You let her eat lunch with you. She took leftovers home. There's no further obligation. But Boaz is a man of grace. He's not looking for a ways out of his minimum requirements. Besides, he doesn't need the law for motivation because he is motivated by love. Okay, because we're starting to see. You know, if we're sitting on the couch watching this on primetime or Netflix or Hulu, whatever whatever you use, we would be going like, Man, you know, this is when Andrea and I be cuddled up because we're like, they are starting to, and you see, they're starting to like each other. They're starting to get the butterflies for one another. And now, finally, let's look at our final two verses, verse 22 and verse 23. So then Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with this, his young women. Less than another field, you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, leaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest and she lived with her mother-in-law. So we see that Naomi encourages Ruth to continue on. Don't go look for another field. You'd likely be assaulted, but continue on the field that God has provided for you. And the chapter concludes with Ruth staying close to Boaz's young women. So she was gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. So in other words, she continued to live with Naomi, and she stayed all the way through the harvest season. Now, yes, we end chapter two, and Ruth is still a widow which means we must wait for another week, dot, 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 or to be continued, dot, dot, dot. But we will see how things progress between them next week, but I want us to finish by looking at the concept of the Redeemer. The concept of redemption is central to the story of the Bible, and the book of Ruth contributes to our understanding of redemption by giving us a concrete example, for in it we find four aspects of redemption, as well as across the biblical storyline. So this idea of the central story of, of redemption is all throughout Scripture, from Genesis, really from almost from the first page, all the way to the book of Revelation. And so we find Ruth here kind of smack dab in the middle of the Old Testament, and it's very important to our understanding um, of that, which is one reason we call this series Redeemer, and also why we chose it for Advent, because we are longing for the first coming of our Redeemer in this season. And so there's, there's four aspects of redemption that I want us to see. First, we see the need for redemption. We need redemption because we are weak and helpless. For Ruth, in this story, it's food and family. For every single one of us, we are dead and helpless in our sin, and we need salvation, which comes through redemption in Jesus. Second, we see the price of redemption. Now, we're going to see this in two weeks, but there's a closer relative, Naomi, who has to consider the cost of redemption. Is he going to step in or is he going to allow Boaz to step in? For us, atoning blood was shed to purchase our freedom from sin. Third, we see the glory of the Redeemer. Boaz reflected God's kindness, his loyalty, his mercy and faithfulness. For us, Christ's ability to redeem goes far beyond that of Boaz. Because Christ came to redeem not just one person. That's kind of the key story of Boaz. He came to redeem one person. Christ came to redeem not even just Israel, but he came to redeem the nations. And because of his own glory, because he's equal with the Father, his atonement has immeasurable value. And the fourth and final aspect of redemption that we see here is this familial nature of redemption. We see that throughout scripture, redemption leads to intimacy. It leads to relationship. It leads to family. This is one reason that our, our of our three values that sojourn is gospel, family, mission. And here's the reason that family is. Our second value. Now this is certainly the case with Ruth and Boaz. We see that a relative and a redeemer by becoming Ruth's husband extending the family line. In the New Testament, redemption continues to look like marriage. We see that the church is referred to as the bride of Christ. And we, if we are in Christ, are adopted as sons and daughters. And we're adopted, we're given the full rights and as citizens of the kingdom of Jesus. And by looking at Boaz, we see that there's many godly traits to imitate. And so, looking at, at the godly traits of Boaz and the faith of Ruth, I mean, we could take those two things and just run a whole series off of that. And we could finish it and say, "Go be like Boaz. Go be men like Boaz, and go be women like Ruth." But when we look through Boaz, we see the gospel of Jesus Christ. We see that Jesus sees us in our need, just like Boaz saw Ruth in her need. Jesus comes; He pays the price for our redemption. And he gives us a new status and he clothes us in his glory. And he brings us into the most of intimate relationships. So how should you and how should I respond to that grace today? How how should we do it? I think Ruth actually gives us a really good posture for that. Back in verse 10, that it says that she fell before the Redeemer. And so I would say this morning that we need to fall before the Redeemer and worship the one who has shown us the grace. And kindness that we did not deserve. And so we have the opportunity to do that this morning. Joseph's gonna come back up here in just a a minute and he's gonna lead us out in worship. So I've just got two final instructions, two ways of response. The first is if you're not a Christian, you just happen to tune in because it's December or it's Advent or because man, it's been a heck of a year, and someone said I should watch this. I know we have different people tuning in from all over the country, so you might be tuning in. From the East Coast, or you might be here with us in Portland, but if you're not a Christ follower yet, my my advice to you as we move into this time of response is to fall before Jesus today. Worship him as the Redeemer. You might say, I just don't know yet, Matt. What I would say is, as you're watching this, sit there with an open heart, with an open posture. I would just sit and close your eyes for a minute, I would just raise my arms. And just say, God, prove your, show me your kindness. Show me your grace. Let me know that you are real. Let me see you as the redeemer. And then the second group of you, those of you who are Christians, those of you who are saying, man, I am all in. I'm just celebrating this month of, of Jesus coming and then longing for a second coming. For us this morning, I'd say be reminded again of what Jesus has done. Be reminded of his grace and his kindness of his recognition, him recognizing you and adopting you as a son or a daughter and fall before King Jesus and worship him as you are reminded of this yet again. So church, I love you. Let me pray for us to that end. Joseph's gonna come back up and lead us out in our time of response. God, I think this morning we've seen a clear picture of your providential kindness. Yes, in this story, it's the it's Ruth who we're looking at. But God, we're reminded that you have shown us all grace and kindness by you sending Jesus to come to this earth. But we're celebrating, the, the baby coming, but wouldn't stay a baby, but, but, but grow up into a man. A man who would be perfect, who would never sin, although tempted in every way, and who would eventually go to the cross and die on behalf of the sins of the world. God, I ask this morning that if there are people tuning in who don't know you yet, that God, that this message would hit them in a way that they've never thought about it before and that they would realize that it's not by mistake, but it's even by God's providence, by, by your working behind the scenes that are even tuning in this morning, God. And that they too can have the same salvation, that they too have been recognized by God, that you see them and that you want to embrace them and call them son or daughter. So God, I pray for those individuals right now. God, that you would call them to yourself. God, they would respond in salvation this morning. And God, for those of us who are followers of you, that we'd be reminded of this grace and kindness, God, that we would never get on our high horse that it's something that you owed us. But God, we would be reminded of it and that it would cause our hearts to turn in a posture of worship to you this morning. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Thank you so much for listening. We'd love to hear how God is working in your life. You can connect with us and find more available teachings and resources at our website, sojournpdx.org.